Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. It's funny, we close the hour just talking about a weird exchange between Nate Burleson, who's become this big star. Nevada dude from the Seattle area went to uh, Reno and played football there. Played in the NFL. He had an encounter on uh, the NFL show on NFL Network in the mornings. What is it? Good morning, football. And uh, and D'Angelo Williams tried to big time him. Like I don't even know that you played in the NFL. And where'd you play college football? Um, you got to be careful. You got to do your research. And Candy, it's happening, man. The slide of Cofield off the cliff. The old age is coming. I, all week, I don't know why I've had, you know, UNLV football is going to Michigan to play in Ann Arbor. I don't know why I've had, I have had trouble converting the time. I don't know what my problem is. Eastern time to Pacific time. So all week on different social media, on videos I've done, I've got like scrolling messages like, yeah, yeah, pregame on Saturday. 8.30 a.m., let's go. Yeah, the game kicks off at 3.30 Eastern time. For some reason, I know, Devon, you, you can get on mic, Devon, and just say it. Devon's like, wow, you're old. No, 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 keep going. I am just an idiot. <laughs> I just heard uh, Huff, our new voice guy, is like, 11.30 with the pregame. I, I, like, I have us backed up uh, three more hours, so... I just told all the guys during the break who were on the uh, UNLV pregame show, I'm sorry, we now have to do a four-hour pregame show. So, I promised. I promised. we got to deliver. Well, listen, if you want to know how old Cofield is, it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that he can't convert time zones. Like People of all ages can't convert time zones, but only men of the age of Steve Cofield wear a shirt yeah. that has a breast pocket yeah. and take their phone yep. and drop it into it's, their it, breast it, it's, pocket. It's, it's, <laughs> that is the oldest thing yep. you have ever done, Cofield. You might as well start yelling at people about meatloaf uh, in the restaurant. I love the front pocket. I love it. I always remember my phone has got a little bit of weight. Then, because I had the top button, I looked. Uh, oh, I watched we're rolling. You. I watched I, you do I, it. I knew you saw it. I looked over <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, why is like half my chest exposed with my flabby oh, yeah. right breast? I'm like, this is not good. So I buttoned it up, but it's, uh, yeah, it's happening. It's happening. It's here. Can't convert time. I, 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 here's the thing. I book a lot of the guests on the show, and I, I can convert time. I almost never screw that up. But once I get it in my head, I'm like, yep. I had, I had this whole thing planned in Ann Arbor. I'm like, yeah, we're screwed on a Friday night when we get there. Not a lot of time to go out, and there's really no time in the morning. It's funny. I, I, went th- I have a text thread going, when are we leaving for the stadium? 8 or 8.15 in the morning. And finally, someone texts me, and they're like, it's a 3.30 kickoff, moron. What are you doing? They didn't say moron. I'm adding that because I feel like a moron. So. They, they said it in their mind, though. Oh, they – you know what? It was, it's from uh, Nick the Engineer. Oh, Nick definitely and said Nick, it in his mind. Nick, Nick looks at me sometimes <laughs> like, I don't even know what you're saying, Grandpa. Are the, are the neurons connecting in your mind? What is happening? So that's where we are, Candy. That's where we are. And – now we go to the 3 o'clock hour, and these aren't exactly pick-me-up stories. Um, I'm going to feel real good about this, but we're going to do them. We're going to do them because uh, not only old age, but the uh, lack of real good conditioning is breaking me down a bit. Um, is there an issue in Houston with Dusty Baker? Do they have a, a – why is Chaz McCormick, who I think by the numbers has had a good year, why is he not playing? I hope to God. 
Tyler Bischoff is doing something else right now and is not listening to this because he will drive his car directly off the road if he hears us talking about Dusty Baker and Chaz McCormick. There's a story in The Athletic right now from Chandler Rome talking about how no one in the Houston Astros organization can understand why the outfielder Chaz McCormick isn't playing. The guy's like top five in any number of stats this year among outfielders. He has been a threat for power, a threat for speed. Like, why won't Dusty Baker play Chaz McCormick? And Chandler Rome has four anonymous sources from within the organization who said that Dusty is concerned about Chaz McCormick's weight. His weight. He's <laughs> six feet tall yeah. and 220 pounds. And he even know. talked about, Chaz McCormick talked about in the article, like, yeah, I'm playing a little heavier uh, since the injury. But he's talking about playing, like, five or six pounds heavier like he's usually you know 214 he's talking about specific two pound increments i cannot remember the last time i had any idea when i had changed by two pounds i have no no like like i measure this by waist size and by how far i see myself you know sticking out and jiggling when i'm you know, running and stuff like i have no idea how dusty baker is measuring like two pound increments on Chaz mccormick but apparently that is why the guy hasn't been able to play Will they get him a lower number jersey? Will that help him? Hmm. Now, this, I think, is actually going to be something that is very important to you. Is it, is it just football jerseys, too? Is it just football? Well, we'll find out. We're going to find out more about it because now that, you know, remember, this is why Tom Brady retired. The actual reason that Tom Brady retired was he's very upset about the change in numbering uh, in football. He's very upset yeah, I remember, that he no that's right, he complained. be able to pick out who was the linebacker and who was the safety because he knew which number they were wearing. Oh, he's in the 40s. He's clearly... So, yeah, now uh, now we see that you're because you're allowed to wear any number, there's been some research. Very scientific. I'm not joking about that. Scientific research into how do we see people as slimmer or as huskier based on what numbers they wear. And it turns out lower numbers, like numbers like 10, 1, numbers with, you know, little stick figures, they make you slimmer in the minds of people. So, Cofield, I have a feeling you're going to be switching to number 11 from here on out. And I, as a slighter man, as a man more, shall we say, uh, movable by a strong breeze. Yes. I think I need something like a 99. 99 I, like I, sure. I need to be viewed as much stronger, right? Like people look at me and they're no longer going to think, wow, I hope that man's chemo is going all right. Oh they're going to look at me and think, oh my God, look at number 99 walking down the street. That dude must play defensive line. I don't think they would want me in this poll because I don't, I don't know, man. I see the I see defensive linemen and, and uh, really O linemen aren't allowed to switch, but the D linemen wearing lower numbers, and I'm like, my God, they look gigantic now. Like I'll just give you a couple examples on on UNLV's roster. They have a defensive lineman uh, Darius Johnson who wears eight, and it says he weighs 300 pounds, and I'm like, man, that guy's like 340 of muscle. But the best example, and he didn't play a lot last week, is Wysali uh, Muvesi switched from, I think it was 96 to 44, and I was like, my, I went Dusty Baker. I was like, what, he weighs 400 pounds now. He's 44, but the, like, the fours are all stretched out. He put on 20 pounds. He didn't put on 80. Well, wait, I have a question about that. Yeah. So he switches to 44, but was it the same size jersey? I feel we need 
to go to the Schmedium expert Mon on this one. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Can you can you change things just by the size of the sh like if it was a 98 in XL versus like a 44 Schmedium. in your usual Schmedium? Like, would that change it? I've got no comments. Don't lock up. I it's just <laughs> jealousy, Damon. Damon, I hope you understand. It's all jealousy. You have actual muscles that I have never in my life been able to achieve. I could, you could sit me in the gym and force feed me creatine powder like a goose for foie gras and stick me under the bench press for five hours at a time, and I would still look like this. That was like heavy self-deprecation for me and for Candy, and you're like, I'm going to. No, it. well, if I'm clamming up. If you do want the um oh <laughs> no, it's not it's not as it's not like a, it's an optical illusion. That's all it is. You just puff out the chest a little bit more. It's not the numbers. You guys are being mind tricked. Is all. Now back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. That time of week, back here on uh, ESPN Las Vegas, Cofield and Company, Michael Felder, National College Football Insider, is with us. We'll get right to it by setting up this week by going back to last week. Clemson and Duke, what is going on? Uh, and I saw the question all over the internet and TV. Did Clemson lose? Is Clemson in for a drop down because of Dabo? Um, I think it's interesting. So I think there's a couple different levels here, right? So when people say, are they in, in for a, a, a drop off or, or are they, is that dynasty, whatever they had over uh, it, they're talking, they're referencing, especially I live next door to a Clemson fan. Okay. I don't think people realize this, but Charlotte is a very Clemson city. It's a very South Carolina and a very Clemson city. I live, I live probably seven minutes from the state of South Carolina living in South Charlotte. So it's very Clemson forward. And my, um, my neighbor, he tweeted at me and he goes, if only there was like a thing that Dabo could use to like, I don't know, get wide receivers and like portal them into, you know, the team. But at the, the reality of it is, is I don't know that Clemson is going to stop recruiting the way they recruit. They've got a lot of guys in that roster. That, they got a lot of guys that want to play there. They got a lot of, and this is one of the things that Clemson has that I don't think a lot of other schools have. They have a lot of parents that want their kids to play at Clemson. And that's very interesting. Um, it's, it's like they combined sort of Alabama and Stanford together to be able to like, get parents involved, but also make, make be still be cool to kids. And that's something that doesn't happen very often. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, the big thing for me, though, two positions. I was talking to my buddy Joshua Perry. Two positions they don't have. They do not have wide receivers. They do not have defensive linemen. And I think the defensive line is going to get better over time. But think about what we've seen out of this team for the last – gee, it's been 15 years since Dabo took over. And they have had dudes at wide receiver, Right. Uh, Nuke Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, you throw in Mike Williams, and we get the Deion Kane and T. Higgins, and even Amari Rogers. You have guys that can make plays. And then the biggest thing, and I was talking to my buddy, he's a Clemson fan, and he said, Michael Sherber, he produces like a couple po podcasts, but he finally, like, when we do the show together, he finally, like, cuts loose. The biggest thing that's hurt Dabo is wasting scholarships. And I'm not calling these kids waste, but what I am saying is, I think that he got drunk on the idea of guys like Adam Humphreys and Hunter Renfro being like Jamie, uh, guys like Jamie Skowski, guys like um, Nolan Turner, not Jamie Skowski, Nolan Turner, guys that he thought were like him because we all know Dabo's backstory and he used to sleep in the same room as his mom growing up. He was a walk-on. He had to make it work. I think he got drunk on the success of a, a handful of guys and he started giving scholarships out to guys that he really identified with. 
instead of pursuing some of these other guys that Alabama was after, some of these guys that Alabama was uh, fighting to the nail for, same thing with Georgia, obviously. And so they've got a roster that doesn't have the highest talent level. And again, to go back to my neighbor's comment, they also, they don't hit the portal. They don't do it. They don't use it. They don't do it. And I really thought it was interesting to see, obviously, DJ Uingalale's dad. Uh, one, it was interesting to watch DJ play because he's got to be thinking immediately like, and y'all thought I was the problem. Yeah. And then to see his dad kind of respond and be like, yeah, that's not, we, listen, you can preach family, you can preach this, but listen, if the game passes you by, you don't get to have that job anymore. And that's going to, it's going to be really interesting to see if they attack the portal of this upcoming off season. It's also going to be interesting to see what this season looks like, because if you don't scare people on the edge defensively in the box, or offensively on the edge at wide receiver, then what are you going to do? Every game is going to be a dogfight. Michael Felder up on ESPN Las Vegas. What surprised you the most about uh, Dion and Colorado over TCU? Man, they were ready to play. And I don't think TCU realized they were in a football game until, what, midway through the second, almost into the third quarter. And they were like, oh, we have to do stuff. And, yeah, Colorado's defense is not very good. And Colorado uh, – or, or, yeah, and Colorado's defense is not very good. TCU had a chance to win that football game. But – TCU's defense isn't very good either. I think they miss a guy like a D Winters, who was an absolute headhunter, was able to go out there and get things done. Offensively, TCU is still lacking, and they don't they they found ways to score points. It's not like that; they, they almost scored fifty points themselves. So the reality here is TCU is going to have to go through some growing pains. I think losing Garrett Riley is another interesting part of it here, although he didn't look great at Clemson. So we'll see what happens. Um, but the big thing for me is, as Dion said, those kids believe. And I was watching a, a Dion video, um, and it was. You know, listen, I know he does a ton of pub and he does a ton of PR stuff and he's a self promoter, but he's a team promoter as well. But he talked, I was watching a video where he talked about his parents, his, his mom and his stepdad never went to his games. He was an all American. He was an all state player. His parents never went to his game. So he had to count on himself. And he was an all state player in baseball, got drafted by the Royals. And there was no one there. To, like He had no, he didn't have a draft party when he got picked by the Royals. Like, it was just like, they were like, yeah, well, I got to go to work today. So like, you do your own thing. And he had to start believing in himself. And so he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He has the belief. He's always had to believe in himself. And even though other people started to believe in him, I think the reality of it here is he's teaching those kids that, listen, all we got is us in this locker room. It's going to be really interesting. On the other hand, man, I don't know what it looks like to play a kid 129 snaps in a game. You can't keep <laughs> doing that. That's not a thing that can – it's not sustainable. It can't keep happening. So – I wonder what this looks like, but they've got some weapons there. They found a way to gel, at least in game one. And remember, it's game one, so I'll put that caveat in there. Game one, they found a way to gel with 87 transfers. So we'll see what this looks like moving forward. They still, they're still small. This is still a small football team on, on, in the trenches, on the line. So we'll see what that looks like because they've got great skill, really great skill players. But at some point, they're going to have to make hay in between the tackles, and that's going to be the interesting part. Will they beat Nebraska? Yeah. I think Nebraska is going to have a real hard time scoring over air, honestly. Like, I like, they, like, this is a team that for me, they could practice all, they could do a hundred play practice. And I don't know how many actual touchdowns they score without a defense on the field. Like, they are just not, they're not explosive. They don't have like the pieces that you're looking for out, out there on the edge. And obviously, Jeff Sims is a guy that he's, he'll throw the ball to the other team. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what this looks like. So, this could this is going to be a real. I'm excited for this football game, honestly. And when's the last time we could say we're excited for a Colorado Nebraska game? Who's the favorite in the ACC now? North Carolina or Florida State? Florida State, without a doubt. Florida State, number one with a bullet. They beat a top ten team. I still think LSU is probably a top ten team. 
I think LSU is going to give Alabama a run for their money. I think LSU, obviously, they're going to have to play Arkansas and they're going to have to play, um, I'm going to say Kentucky, A&M. I was thinking of A&M. They're going to have to play them. They're going to have to play these schools and they're going to have to win those games. It's not going to be easy for LSU, but they can have an opportunity to win those games. I think Florida State hit another gear. And I don't remember who I was talking to, but it might have been Whitfield. But Florida State made LSU quit. And that's the part, to me, that's going to be interesting because Florida State made them quit. I started writing the newsletter. It was 24-17, okay? And I was like, these teams are both pretty good. They're going to be okay. They're flawed. Like, they're pretty even, though. We're okay. And then Florida State said, nah, man, don't put that. Let's put it in gear. And they went and rock and rolled. And they just rolled this team. And that late touchdown, sure, you can give them the late touchdown for LSU. But at the end of the day, we saw one team come out and want to dominate. And we saw another team that thought that something was going to be given to them. And listen, wins aren't given. They are earned. Michael Felders with ESPN Las Vegas Cofield and company. Sign up for the uh, column, the newsletter he mentioned. It's Felder at Substack.com. Pac-12 out to a 13-0 and start. Yeah. What does that mean for you? I love it, man. I love to see it. I, I, I'm actually getting ready to edit some video of, of Washington from when they started to pour it on Boise State because, man, they looked good. I don't know if there's anybody that's going to be able to stop that team. Penix healthy, two guys that can catch 1,000 yards of footballs. Like, this is – they're scary. And they, I love their play design, too, so that's great. You throw in Oregon, obviously, they had kind of a little cakewalk. Um, I'll, I'll, listen, let me circle back because I know you do a lot of Mountain West stuff. Boise State, what are – like, they've got to be looking around like, <laughs> what happened? Yeah. So I mean, I, I think their recruiting's dropped off the last three years. Um, yeah. I'm not a giant Avalos fan uh, being ready right. for a job of this level. And let, let's be honest, Dirk Cutter saved them last year. They were on their way to a rough season in the former – NFL head coach and outstanding college football coach came in and got the job done. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they shake themselves out. But back to the Pac-12. USC still cannot play defense. Nevada had a lot of chances to make bigger plays. We had some drops. We had some overthrows. But USC still does not play great defense. Uh, I, I really, really like what we're – listen, Dante Moore? Oh, oh, folks going to have their hands full with him. It really did remind me of when Deshaun Watson came onto the field against Georgia his freshman year at Clemson. And it was like, oh, this guy's a different animal compared to what we're using right now. And maybe they save him the way that Alabama saved Tua, right? Where Alabama was like, okay, we know what we got. Let's get through this season and then we'll use him when we need him. But I think Moore is going to be the answer there at UCLA. Uh, I really loved what Utah was able to do with their backup and backup quarterback, like two teams that were just like, hey, man, like two or two guys that were like, we know we're not the guy but we're all going to get the job done. And they got the job done through the air, on the ground, found ways to make things happen. Uh, I think Oregon State is another one. And we mentioned DJ Uyunglele a little bit. That team's fun, man. They're really fun. And I, the thing that I noticed was the way their defense played against San Jose State while they were on the road compared to what USC did hosting San Jose State. Same opponent, same team, one at home, one on the road, and on the road – they look better than USC's defense. So, I mean, I think they've got a defense that's going to be able to make some plays. I love that for them. Curious to see what we get out of Cal and Stanford, obviously, as we get into more a little bit more equal competition. And USC, again, offensively, remarkable. They're so dynamic. Defensively, I, mean, I, I still need more from that football team. The reason I'm going to miss the Pac-12 is um, kind of set up right in front of us this weekend. Uh, they yeah. do schedule aggressively. 
non-con, and there are some really good matchups. Yes. And again, a proven ground weekend for the Pac-12. I don't know what it means long-term because it's breaking up, but uh, <laughs> you mentioned Utah 8 at Baylor. Is that too long? Oh, man. Baylor looked bad, and they lost their quarterback. I think I think Utah's going to put the paws on them, if we're being honest, man. I, I really do. I think I think 8. It, listen, if you can get it, if you can get it at eight, if you got it when it was a little bit when it was seven and a half, like you're in you're in business. You're you're they're gonna or excuse me. No, I, I think eight is good. Eight's good because I think they're gonna win by probably 14. Okay. And that's the reality. Baylor, Dave Aranda's in a bad way. And listen, if you, oh, man, I, I don't know what to think about this Baylor team. They're not as big as they used to be up front. They don't run as well side to side as they – I don't know if it's a brain – not a, not even a brain drain, a skill drain from losing those guys to the NFL pretty consistently during Aranda's run. But right now, Baylor, for me, they're, they should probably be a double-digit underdog in this football game. So it, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, I especially like the uh, current Pac-12, Big 12 matchups because I, I really believe over the summer that Brett Yormack and the rest of the Big 12 folks pulled the – a real scam on a lot of people. And all of a sudden the yeah. big 12, the new big 12 was better than the existing pac 12. I'm like, I, yeah. I don't see it. I don't get that. And so we got more of those matchups, uh, Oregon six and a half at Texas tech. I mean, obviously Texas tech couldn't close it out. Got upset on the road in Wyoming. That was a bad football game. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. What a bad game. And one team in Wyoming, like Wyoming is one of those things. And this, I don't know if your, your folks ever said this to you, but my parents always, told me don't like and this is a common it's a common maxim but it's like don't argue with fools because they'll, they'll they'll wrestle you down to their level and beat you with with experience and that's what it looked like for wyoming i'm not calling wyoming fools or idiots what i'm saying is wyoming is a team that does not want to move the football they do not want to play fast and what they do is make the game so they're basically a team that stands on the field with a walk with a hose to make it as muddy as possible yeah, and yeah. then get you get stuck in the mud and then you wake up and you look around like what happened to us and so it's going to be interesting. Texas Tech will be back on their fast track, uh, but Oregon wants to play fast, so that's going to be a really fun football game. One more in the Pac-12, uh, crossing over against the Big 12. Arizona State, I mean, they had a weather delay. That yeah. looked rough. Ooh. Rashada was pretty good, though, the freshman quarterback. Yep. Uh, they're hosting Okie State. What do you think of that one? Man, I don't know what to expect out of Oklahoma State. I'll be honest with you, man. I have no clue. I, I, I think Arizona State can and should get a win. Rashada did look good. I think he's Obviously, he's, I mean, we talked about the uh, we talked about Dante Mora at UCLA. Rashada's in the same boat, like guys that are growing and learning what they're supposed to do and understanding how they fit into things. So I'm looking forward to watching him play. Oklahoma State to me just feels like like a team that's kind of cobbled together with pieces. Their best linebacker left; he's now starting at USC. Uh, the other pieces that they've had are either in the NFL or they're guys that we don't we still don't know what to expect out of them. So I am. In my mind, I'm looking at Arizona State, and I think that, hey, man, let's make a statement. Let's go out and get a win uh, with a, with another, you know, uh, similar rank, similar caliber FBS team. Michael Felder's with us. Uh, in your newsletter, I, I got to break up this interview and because and, I, I, I didn't know what was going on here. I know you're very well-rounded. You're going to invest in a sewing machine? I'm, I'm, I'm debating getting a sewing machine. Okay, now. all right. I, I really like sewing. It's really therapeutic for me, and – Listen, you have a kid and kids, you know, they, they need to get patches on their knees when they need to get knee pat patches on their jeans and patches on their pants. And I'm not I can't always go to my mom's house to let her sew or her use her sewing machine. And so I'm thinking about imagine imagine if you look right back here and there was a, a little desk with a sewing machine right back there, right here. Can you imagine that? And I'm like, hey, man, I'm sewing stuff and I can make we can make pillows and we can do all this stuff. So, yes, that is a real that's a reality for me. 
I'm jealous as my uh, keister gets bigger. I keep ripping holes in the bottom <laughs> of my jeans, and I'm like, I need someone to sew a patch on here, or uh, I'm going to be uh, yeah. hanging out at some point. Uh, all right, let's close on this one. <laughs> Mike, Mike Felder's with us. Uh, the biggest game of the week is Alabama and Texas. Yes. I saw the front page of CBS Sports with a header. How does Texas uh, shock Alabama? It's a seven-point game, and Texas played really well last year. But is there a big gap this year? I don't know that there's a big gap. I think the biggest problem, honestly, is – and I guess this is – you know what, Cofield? This is the way I would describe it. I think Alabama last year thought they were better than they were. And this year, they know they're not as good. And that's – to me, that makes – that's a cornered raccoon. Right. That's a that's an animal, a wild animal that you've now put in a corner. And last year they played it very close to the vest, right? They they let Bryce make decisions and Bryce saved them multiple times against Texas, against Auburn. He saved them. He saved them multiple times. They don't have the luxury of having Bryce Young. They don't have the luxury of having Tua. So they have to be as a team putting together a full effort. Now remember, this is a team that lost three safeties to the NFL draft. They lost Brian Branch, they lost Jordan Battle, and they lost um, Hellams. They lost Hellams, too. So they lost three guys. So those guys have to get up to speed. And Alabama, I think they're going to put pressure on Texas in a way that Texas has not experienced. Texas, I think, is walking into this game thinking, we were close a year ago. Let's go ahead and get it now. And Alabama's walking to this game thinking, we're not close to what we were a season ago. So let's go out and rip their heads off early so this isn't a game. Because we don't have – Alabama does not have a quarterback that you can count on at the end of the game. They don't have a running back that you can count on at any stretch of the game. So they have to go out and attack, and I think they're going to be on the prowl. That's what I'm expecting to see on Saturday. Enjoy the college football this weekend. Enjoy the new-look college football where we get uh, what roughly, what, 225 of football and then an hour of commercials. So thanks to the <laughs> overlords of college football, you sons of you-know-what. Yeah, no, we're on it, man. I'm excited. We're going to see some good things. I'm going to keep tracking those plays. It's crazy. Michael Felder there. Yeah, a lot more commercials now. We sped up the game on the field with the uh, clock change, but now we sit around and wait while more commercials play, um, which makes the live viewing experience kind of interesting. I saw some people really uh, complaining about sitting there for uh, what felt like 60, 65 minutes of no action. Uh, Not the case with the WNBA up and down the floor. Season finale is coming up. Aces taking on Phoenix. Four tickets in the ESPN Fan Zone. We'll give them away right now. 364-1100-364-1100. It's Fan Appreciation Day. It's a Sunday game. This Sunday, noon, T-Mobile. You can grab your tickets at AXS.com. The Fan Zone is presented by Finley, Volkswagen, Henderson, and Westar Credit Union. Four-pack right now. Caller 7364-1100. Week two of college football, a big one. A lot of good games. You just heard... Me talking to Michael Felder about the aggressive Pac-12 schedule, which I'm excited about. Uh, I will be in Ann Arbor this weekend for UNLV at Michigan at the Big House. What time? I have no idea. I am lost. Okay. Yeah, 11:30 pregame, 12:30 kickoff. That's 3:30 Eastern time. I may make the game, or I may get there eight hours early. I don't know. I'm confused. I need help when I go on the road. I need even more help here. Have you been to Ann Arbor? No, I've never been to Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm not sure. You're, have I ever been to Michigan other than to be to the Detroit airport? I don't think so. I have been. Uh, technically, last year, UNLV stayed in Michigan for the Notre Dame game. So, which I, I forget the name of the town. It was, uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. 
about what I expected. A couple of good local bars. Can't complain about that. But I think Ann Arbor will be cool. Uh, what's the biggest football stadium you've been in in terms of attendance? Well, there's a trick to that because I toured uh, the Cornhusker Stadium in Nebraska, okay. but it was in December when I was there with UNLV women's basketball. So, nice. you know, big empty stadium, but it was pretty damn impressive. Yeah, the loudest I've been in, uh, believe it or not, Syracuse Carrier Dome back in the day was crazy in the late, I guess that would be the late 80s, I almost said late 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, but the biggest and loudest was Penn State, which I still hate. Don't ever want to go there again. Don't ever want to hear that screeching cat. And I like cats. But the uh, the roaring lion was just super, super annoying. So I'm, I'm interested to see when the sort of more of a bowl concept, right, like the Coliseum, went to USC, UNLV, and it was kind of loud. It wasn't a monster crowd. But I'm curious to see what 100,000 people sounds like. I think they're going to – I have to look up the number. I think this is going to be the 320-something – uh, game in Michigan with over 100,000 fans. So they're going to, I don't know if they're going to get 111, but they'll, I'm sure they'll get 102, 103, 104, and uh, it'll be loud. I'll tell you what, actually, I have been to a Rose Bowl before. It's okay. just that, you know, it's a little different situation, right? Like, you know, you have both sets of fans there, so it's not as loud for one side uh, as it can be. But I'll tell you, the first time you look around at, at an event like the Rose Bowl, especially. If you are so unfortunate as to have tickets in the section directly next to one of the school's marching bands, uh, <laughs> you realize just how how intimidating and loud it can get. Uh, next two days, we're going to get you ready for the game at Michigan with a bunch of cool interviews. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk to Amani Trig Wright, one of the offensive linemen, who I will virtually guarantee, if we can afford him, he will probably be part of the company next year because this guy likes to talk and he does want to get into broadcasting. So the big offensive lineman, six-year senior, is coming up in a few. So we talked to a lot of players during the week, and they'll be featured on the uh, Ted Weens UNLV football pregame show on Saturday at 11.30, 11.30 a.m. local time, 12.30 kickoff. Uh, one of the guys we talked to was the uh, one, the only, Monty Trigg Wright, who is the uh, right guard on this team, a veteran, a kid out of Oakland, wants to get into broadcasting. Uh, Caleb Herring's doing a new feature where he goes behind the scenes on a lot more than football called Under the Helmet, and this part of the conversation with Caleb and Amani Trigg Wright starts off with the honor of being named captain and uh, wanted to see what uh, AT or Amani Trigg Wright, uh, ATW, yeah, what he thought about being named a captain. It's giving me chills right now, man. I ain't gonna lie to you. Um, but one of the main things I always wanted, man, was to just be the guy and be a captain. I always felt like I had the leadership abilities in me, but I was, I was always my own worst enemy, you know what I mean, for the longest time to be able to, you know, be recognized by my players as someone they want leading them, someone they want on the on the front lines. That was like, that's just the the most, this is so humbling to me just because, you know, like obviously, you know, if the coach, sometimes teams do it where the coaches will, will vote for the captains and that would be cool too. You know, the coaches, you know, see me as that, but to have my peers um, say, no, we want, we want you. That was like, yeah, that was the icing on the cake for me, man. And I, that was, um, it's been a blessing, man. So just with that though, I just know that, you know, coming, coming with the captain role, there's a lot of leadership. Um, there's a lot of leadership things that, you know, that are, I feel like are overlooked until you actually, you know, are, are known as a captain. You know what I mean? And a lot of those things, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm learning as I go, you know what I mean? Especially taking, taking some of the things that I've learned from past captains, the captains that I looked up to um, just taking some of those things, man. And, you know, trying to lead a hundred guys as best as I can, knowing that I'm one of the old, I'm only 22, but I'm one of the oldest guys on the team. I've been here the longest, so a lot of the, the guys on the team are going to be looking at me, you know what I mean, to, 
to lead them in the right direction. So it's been good for me. It keeps me on point. And I'm, I'm loving every second of it, man. That's good, man. You mentioned your peers and how they feel about you. I know it means a lot. I, obviously, as a former player, I know I get what you're com- where you're coming from. One of your peers has something to say about you that I'm wondering if you know or if this is a team nickname or it's just Doug speaking off the cuff because Doug called you Uncle Trig. Is that your team nickname or is that just Doug calling you Uncle Trig? Uh, you see what I'm saying? I've been here for six years. So, no, that's a, that's a team nickname, man. I mean, a lot of the guys in the old line room call me Uncle Trig. Uh, a few guys on the team call me Uncle Trig, man. And, um, I don't know if it's just, I, you know, it's, it's a play on my age. Obviously, I'm 22. I ain't that old, but I'm one of the oldest in the locker room. But I think it's just because of uh, just some of the perspective I try and give my guys. You know, um, a lot of guys I feel like poured into me, like Javen White, uh, Gio, Gio Fialo. Um, a lot of guys like poured into me, man. And they helped me a lot when I was a young guy. You know, I was hard headed, but they helped me a lot. And if I see a player like that, you know, I I try and, you know, give them, you know, give them some game, you know what I mean? And try and prevent them from making the same mistakes I did. So it, it could be, it's probably a play really on my age, but I think, you know, a lot of guys, you know, see that I am trying to look out for them. I'm trying to pay it forward, really. I'm going to just say this. Doug said that he had to put on some weight this offseason. He said that he now cooks steak and he knows how to make his own steak. One, did you get him some pointers to how to gain some weight? And two, have you seen him cook steak? Because I don't believe he's cooking steak the right way. I, I'm just not, maybe I'm just not going to believe it till I see it. But is he really out here cooking steak like that? I don't know if Doug is cooking at all. You know, he got him a lady right now, too. So his girlfriend <laughs> might be doing a lot of the work. I don't know if Doug cooking. You know what I mean? I don't know if Doug cooking. Uh, no, I, I didn't give him no pointers for gaining weight, man. Doug, Doug was on his own with that one. But yeah, he he definitely looks way bigger than he did last year. So you could tell he was he was trying to <laughs> he was forcing himself to eat because Doug. I mean, you six six. I mean, you know, food is going damn to run right through you. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah, he had, you know for that he had to pretty much force himself to eat and be disciplined with that. I feel like that's damn near harder than what people make it seem. Actually, like trying to eat to gain weight is I feel like hard. You know what I mean? Because right. it's like you got to eat. You got to be disciplined with it. You can't just be eating anything and. You got to eat a certain amount. So it's like, you know, it's harder than what it's made out to be. But, yeah, he did a good job for sure because we need him for 12 games to make this run. You know what I mean? And that's that's important to me, especially with it being my last year, um, being able to keep him healthy. That's I mean, that's our main job, too, as the line. But being able, you know, he's going to take some hits here and there. That's ball. Keeping him healthy, man, That's that, he's the key, man. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, he, he bulked up for sure. So you said you played baseball growing up. Do you still follow baseball? You still like a baseball fan? Would you consider yourself like a baseball fan still? To be honest, to be honest, I was more of a baseball player than a fan, if that makes sense. (laughs) I definitely followed when I was growing up. I definitely followed more college football and NFL than I did with MLB. I just was I was interested in baseball. I love baseball, but I was never like just the biggest fan of it. I think just that just basketball and college football attracted me. But yeah, I still keep I still keep up here and there. You know, I'm 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 pissed that my A's are leaving Oakland. It's a ghost town over there in the Oracle uh, parking lot. Um <laughs> uh, the A's are gone, Raiders are gone, uh Warriors are gone. That parking lot used to be lit, man. And it's you know, it's it's, I'm, it's bittersweet having being out here and having all of the, all of them come out here, but I I keep up with it with it a little bit. Not not heavily like I would do with the NBA or NFL or college football. Okay, so you was on the BART a lot when you were in in Oakland days. I'm assuming oh, yeah. going down there to uh, to the Coliseum. And oh yeah, 
I'm kind of starting. I'm going to try to stir some trouble up here because I asked Jackson this and he he had to say right away that he was a Lakers fan. NBA team. What's your NBA team? Dub Nation. Been there since the jump. And if anybody tries to tell you different, don't listen to them. I was there <laughs> since the jump, since the We Believe. Because my favorite part of them, the mascot. I was young. My grandfather used to watch him a lot. My favorite part was the mascot. So that's what like, really attracted me to them. And then obviously they weren't winning at the time. So it wasn't much to be like talked about with the Warriors. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people in the Bay were Lakers fans before they were Warriors fans. A lot of people in the Bay, there was nothing to talk about. But once we start winning, you would never shut me up. You would never shut me up. I'll never shut up. You know what I mean? Uh, me and Charles Williams used to go at it heavy when, uh, you know, the running back here, all-time leading rusher. I must say that for UNLV, man. Me and him used to go at it in the locker room just debating. The Dub Nation is – that's my, my my pride right there. First of all, what's your major? Where you at as far as school and academics go, graduate, undergraduate? What's going on on that side of things? So I majored in uh, journalism with a focus in sports media. Goal for me was to be a sports analyst. Uh, every day, man, I really grew up uh, watching ESPN. That's really how I got it. So like every day I'd sit there, eat my little breakfast right before I went off to school and I'd be watching, you know, the top 10 players or whatever. You know what I mean? And watching some of the highlights or whatever. My grandfather was really that's that's one of the guys that, you know, really got me into sports too was my grandfather. Uh, I would sit there watching sports, you know, watch sports with him. And I think that's where my passion for being a sports analyst kind of came from. Um just in, being in love with sports and and wanting to be able to talk about them. Um so like I said, I got my degree in sports journalism. Uh graduated last May and then now I'm working on my masters in public relations. What I do know you know what I mean? Is that I, I want to be able to talk. That's what I'm good at. I'm good at talking. So, I, you know, I'm, I got a few different avenues, a few different interests. And I'm still trying to figure that out, you know, just as I go. Uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity now to shout out anybody you want to shout out. Any family, friends, coaches, players. Uh, and just let the fans know what you're feeling about this upcoming opponent with Michigan uh, at the big house. Let me just start off with uh, just to the fans, man. We appreciate all the support. Definitely appreciate all the support. We know it's hard. We know it's hard being a, a Rebel fan at times, man. But we do appreciate those that stick out for us. And, man, coming into coming into Michigan week, you know, every every week is important. Those those games, you know, either a rivalry or, you know, a team that you may have lost to just by a touchdown the year before. Or it's like, you know, you go into that week and it's, you got that feeling. It's not, you know, consistent usually over, over a 12, 12 game season, man. And Michigan is one of those games where it's like you just you just got it going. You know, you just feel it, man. It's hard to describe it, but you just feel it playing in front of 100,000 people. Man, that's going to be it's going to be insane because I used to watch Denard Robinson, man, play play quarterback at Michigan. And he used to go crazy. And so that's like to me, it is full circle to be able to come in there, dominate the Wolverines and try and come out there with a W. I mean, that's the that's the mindset of the team right now, man, is we, we're looking to, to, to go in there and dominate. I mean, why not us? It's really the – I feel like the mindset with us, I feel like we can do it. I believe we really can do it. We have the pieces. We got we got the tools. I mean, we just got to have to be able to execute because, yes, that, that is, a, is a championship caliber team right there. You're a football fan. I mean, you saw them last year um, against TCU. I mean, they almost came back. They were down bad and almost came back. So it's not, it's not like this, these are some scrubs or nothing. This is a championship caliber team. So for us – a team that's trying to get to that level, we'll, we'll have to execute. They will. They will to, pay, uh, to play a competitive game. And, and part of the conversation, that was a long conversation, the feature's called Under the Helmet. Uh, Caleb Herring goes behind the scenes with 
UNLV football players and really gets into more family life and academics. And you heard there, academically, degree in journalism for Amani Trigg Wright, one of the offensive linemen, and uh, he does want to get into what we do. What would be your advice, Candy? Uh, one, should we be smart, Alex, and say don't do it? But uh, what's the best way to get a job as a former football player, uh, either on radio or TV? Well, I would give him the same advice that I would actually give to journalism students that I usually do give to journalism students. Be willing to start wherever with whatever, yeah. right? Like, like, even if it's not exactly what you thought you were going to be doing, uh, get experience, get as many reps as you can, get, get the nerves out of you, get the ability to form a thought uh, together, which I didn't do very well there. Like, like, you <laughs> know, try to do as much of that as you can as quickly as you can so that when the real opportunities start to come to you that you're actually ready for it. Yeah. Uh, my advice is the same advice, really, that holds steady for all jobs. I think what bosses want, yes, in this medium, they want talented people who are going to draw listeners. Mostly what they want is for you to show up to work on time and not be a pain in the ass. I know it sounds like very, they're like very minimal standards, but I find in radio, like the guys who are on forever, um, like I think the best example is overnight people in radio in bigger cities and nationally, they're there for every shift. And when you listen, you're like, oh man, I don't know if this person's that good. They show up every night, there's no drama. They're not saying stupid stuff on the air. And it's the same thing. I mean, every other job I've worked, and I haven't worked many. I've been really lucky the last you know, 30 years to not have to work uh, lots of other gigs. But uh, you know, because you, you have lots of gigs in, in radio over time. Like, if, if it, Just show up and do your freaking job. But when you, when you first want to get in, if you're a former football player, um, like, like Candy said, it's great advice. Be willing to do everything. Don't don't have an attitude like, well, I'm, I'm on air. Like, well, you might have to run the show. You might have to book guests. You might have to do uh, videos, right? Pump out social media, which, frankly, any 20-something should be really cool at doing and should be cool doing it. What you said about working overnights, too, Steve, that was one <laughs> yeah. of my very first radio gigs. I was 19 years old in yeah. Flagstaff, Arizona, and I... I was doing overnights and I couldn't just work on one station because there were two stations in the building. So I had to be willing to do classic rock on some nights and modern country on the others. Modern country. And so uh, (laughs) I I knew precious little about both at the time, but Northern Arizona's home of classic rock, 93.9, the mountain. And then switch it right up. For the next night, it'd be like Northern Arizona's best country, ninety-three calf, right? Like nothing that I wanted to do in either case. But they had a news operation in the building that I was trying to work my way into, and I had to work there for like you know a year plus before I finally was able to get in that door and start doing what I really wanted to do. Um, Amani Trigg, right? The whole conversation will be up here in about five minutes up on uh, my uh, Twitter feed and also uh, UNLV All Access at UNLV All Access, so you can hear that full conversation. It's a long one, but he also gets into uh, the fact that his, da- his dad passed away about 10 years ago while he was, I think, going into high school, and uh, he talked about someone who was his mentor, and actually his mentor, and you got to listen to it. I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, his mentor was actually the uh, dad of a dude who is playing with the Raiders now, so he was a high school coach in the Oakland area, and that's the other thing. If you're a big Oakland fan, he talks a lot about 
Oakland, and uh, I think uh, McClyman's, I think he was saying the Mac. I think that's, a, that's what he was calling it. But uh, really good conversation. Give a listen to that one. Let's give away some tickets going to the 4 o'clock hour. Reno's going to join in, and then we've got the big four at four, and Brad Powers and Stanford Route on the way. 364-1100, We've got another four-pack of tickets in the ESPN Fan Zone for the Aces and the Mercury. It's at T-Mobile, Fan Appreciation Day. You can get your tickets at AXS.com. It's all presented by West Star Credit Union and uh, Finley Volkswagen Henderson. Four-pack, Aces, Mercury, 364-1100, caller 7.